When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on Off Tackle Empire, we have observed a lot of commercials coming out suggesting that the bad times are over while the pandemic continues to rage and we approach 800,000. But hey, hey, Turkey, just uh, let's lean in over your shoulder here. If uh, whoever's cooking isn't educated and appropriate brining, maybe just make sure the gravy boat gets situated in front of you and go ahead and drain the whole thing onto your plate. Go ahead and stick your head in the gravy till you drown, actually. Then you won't have to watch the Lions play the Bears this week on Off Tackle Empire. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire. Welcome to Off Tackle Empire. The Big Ten football podcast that would really like you to, um, you know, just let me squeeze by you here and grab the ranch and dump it all over my turkey this week. Oh, God. Uh, oh, let me just, uh, just gonna kind of, uh, just gonna kind of uh, crack a win fight dry brewster of the week here. Uh, I actually have nothing for this. This is just a smooth berry blast. And I was gonna flavor. say it's a, it's a it's a whole bottle of ranch that you're cracking. You just you're gonna just drink it right from right from the bottle, huh? Nope. Uh, no, 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 yeah, 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 no, no, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. Yeah, I don't uh, have any of that beer. But anyway, I'm Steve Ron. I'm Tom Pesoris. I'm Andrew Kaczewski. And uh, the first thing we got to talk about is boy, did a lot of things happen outside the Big Ten this week. I mean, the Big Ten actually was actually fairly boring. Nothing particularly interesting happened. Um, a lot of things kind of according to script. But outside of football, <laughs> Dan Mullins had an incredible journey from within a field goal of downing Alabama to being fired before the season's end. Yeah, it's not quite as extreme of a swing as we had with that Ogeron, but there's also like, have, did, did we ever hear anything about Dan Mullen being so weird or it like intolerable that he had to be fired. Like, you mean, did we ever hear anything where he was accused of humping a shark or faking death threats? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't. There was nothing like that, and it's or or you know trying to trying to fuck booster wives or no yeah, no no, no. I'm, I'm sorry administration wives or punching right, your player which, on TV. Well, it, depending on who the booster is, it could be better or worse, but. uh it's just, I mean, some of these big SEC jobs are, they're starting to feel like NBA gigs where it's yeah. like, never mind having a bad, having consecutive bad years or even a bad entire season. Like if you have a bad month, they will fire you now. No, it's like, you remember when, uh, what was it? Dwayne Casey that got coach of the year and then got fired after losing a playoff series. Yeah. But that was because the Raptors had a roster good enough to win an NBA title. And they did indeed win the title the next year. Yeah. I mean, so that's not necessarily the fairest example, but still that's just yeah. goes to show you the, uh, I mean, it, it makes it a fair comparison though, that that's just kind of the, uh, the, the temperature. Yeah. I just like, I understand that these jobs are going to, are, are going to pay a lot of money and you've got big time atmospheres, great resources, prime access to great recruiting spots especially florida but i I can't help but wonder like doesn't this turn off some coaches who like for example if you're a luke fickle i'm not saying that you stay at cincinnati forever but if you're now if you're offered a job at a place like an lsu or a florida you know perfectly well if you don't win a national title within three maybe four years they're firing you and even if you do you might still get fired whereas if he makes the playoff field at Cincinnati this year, which is much more possible after this week, uh, he's there for life. They'll never. Well, win. It's it's also it's not so much not winning a national title. It's you got to win double digit games every yeah, single well, yeah, year. Yeah, that's it's right. I mean, these bigger ones. It's, it's if Kirby Smart survived has survived not winning a national title yet. And again, yeah, the dude who's assembled a defense that's given up like seventy points this year. Yeah, just barely managed to survive. Through these eleven win seasons, 
Right. And now, like, I mean, like, I just can't, like, is that really going to be the cap? Or, like, if Georgia doesn't win the national title, are they going to fire smart? Like, is that where this goes next? And well, look, like, the, the amount of online posting that you've seen clamoring to fire this guy would shock you. That you can I, don't think it, I don't think it would because I like really, if you look in the right places online, you can find a, I mean, how, how many people are here to queue it on? Honestly, like that, that would not, I don't think it would surprise me. That's fair. It, I think there's a difference. Well, there were all like, those people that gathered to, to, to see the return of JFK Jr. in uh, Dallas the other, the other week. Did that happen yet? Or are they still out there way? I, I know there were some people who were like, well, they, well, it, did it, he it, return? No, <laughs> no, he did not. Okay. Well, that I mean, hasn't I'm, happened yet. I, well, I, I don't watch a whole lot of the news anymore. I'll be honest with you. I mostly get snippets here and there and, you know, once in a while tune into, um, you know, good morning America or whatever, but uh, okay. So that did not happen. But so what I guess what I'm saying is no, I'm not surprised by that, but that doesn't mean that it's not still like objectively crazy to think about. And so consider, for example, how difficult it is to be in a coaching search this year. For example, I think Virginia tech was probably pretty well justified to fire Justin Fuente. Right. I mean, they've, it, that's something that we've kind of been like for a couple of years now. Well, aren't they going to pull the trigger? At are they going to do it or are they going to not? Yeah. Yeah. And so they've been did. beating around that bush. And, but now, de- again, depending on what you think of different factors, Virginia Tech is at best the fourth best option in, in the coaching pool this year. If you go by the traditional factors, because you've got USC probably the best job, in my opinion. And then LSU, Florida, I don't know. I mean, you, you potato, potato, really. They're both top-tier SEC schools, great talent access, great winning history. Well, uh, look, in order to bring up what I think will be a fourth one there, I'd have to, to skip ahead. So before I do that, I want to mention that for whatever reason, last year when they beat Missouri, Florida coach Dan Mullen came out to a press conference in a Darth Vader costume. I don't remember why he did that, but anyway – uh, Eli Drinkwitz, the Mizzou head coach, came out with a lightsaber in a press conference this time. <laughs> of, course <laughs> guy, of course, the guy named Eliah could not net let a nerd-themed slight go unanswered when he had the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, uh, when you look at Dan Mullen, I mean, there's, of course, you know, the weird thing is there's going to be all these things that now people are going to say, like, oh, these were warning signs, but Dan Mullen was just a meathead, and there are plenty of successful meathead coaches. Especially you're talking the about SEC. the what there was the thing where uh god what was it that he blamed for uh for losing to Texas A&M last year oh i don't know i i don't keep track of what those guys say but no, i i remember I, thinking this was incredible though but i mean yeah just just had all this real real <sighs> big meathead energy um and these are the kind of things that once a guy fails and gets fired you go, oh man, you know, how could you not, you know, see this coming? But it's like, how many successful coaches have that kind of shit happen? Yeah. Well, of course, you know, the funny thing is, especially in terms of these SEC schools. So what's going to happen now is, so you've got, you've got so far Florida and LSU looking for new head coaches, but keep in mind, like Dan Mullen and Ed Odron did not get to those places by being completely incompetent buffoons. Like, yeah, in their own ways, they both have things that they bring to the table, and of course, you know what's going to happen now is Nick Saban just assimilates them into his Borg mind of coaching assistants. Okay, so what he did was what Mullen did was um, he oh when they when they lost to um, when they lost to Texas A and M, he blamed the fact that he couldn't have a full crowd because of COVID restrictions last oh, year. Oh, that's right. That's what but happened. So- that's why he lost. Uh, <laughs> to Texas A&M, yeah. To Texas A&M. But, you know, so Ogeron and Mullen will now do their rehab stint at Passages Tuscaloosa. <laughs> no, it was because Texas A&M had so many fans at the game and he couldn't have fans at his home games. That's why he lost on the road. Oh, that's, cause, yeah, because the team couldn't yeah. be prepared for it. So, <laughs> that's yeah, what, okay, that's okay. what it was like. <sighs> God, yeah. Okay. That, see, you see why I remember that? Because it was really, really stupid, even for a college football head coach. Yeah. Well, but regardless, like Florida's administration didn't have any problem with that. Like he didn't get in trouble. Of course not. Um, So look, I mean, even if there are no more major openings this cycle and you know there will be, you're already looking at a year where the following schools have to find new head coaches. USC, Florida, LSU, Washington, Virginia Tech, 
and TCU. And if you if you're looking at me like, why are you putting TCU uh, on Texas that list? Tech? They already fought, They already got a new coach, though. Oh, they did, didn't they? Okay, yeah, well that's okay that. because you also got to consider that uh, Texas is four and seven and has lost six in a row for the first time since 1956. Yeah, and uh, and also while we're speaking of Texas, um, we'll go. I mean, we'll just jog down to this part. Um, they now need a home win over Kansas State next week to avoid a four and eight campaign as they're gear up for a move to the SEC. They're two and six in conference play. I mean, even in the state of Texas, has there ever been a better example of an administration knowingly trading its constituents' best interests and happiness for cold, hard cash? I mean, even for Texas, that's pretty bad. Even for Texas, like that's some Texas power grid shit. Um, And the other fun thing that is, if Texas loses and Kansas wins, Texas is dead last in the Big 12 this year. In their final year in the conference, they put the death blow in. I mean, that's just like, would that not be poetic justice? Um, so anyway, you know, maybe keep an eye on that if you're looking for games next Which week. Which sucks because Kansas came so close to actually doing it too, beating TCU. Yeah, that would have that would have actually put Texas right in last place. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they really did. It was a it was a three point margin, but yeah, Texas. You know, West Virginia, I mean, it was not a surprising loss, certainly nothing like the, losing to Kansas, but it was still the sixth straight loss. And at the beginning of this losing streak, they had led Oklahoma by by three touchdowns. Yeah. And, and everything's so, I mean, been terrible since then. It it doesn't I don't know that it's a foregone conclusion that Sarkeesian gets the Steve Wilkes treatment, but you I mean, you have a relationship with somebody who's fairly well connected. It I can't imagine there's many people in the Texas fan base who think this is going to work anymore. And look, as he's cruising to what seems like an inevitable victory in our college football uh, fantasy league here, what he tells me about Texas football is checked out, not even watching. It's just <laughs> yeah. incredible to me. Yeah, this guy, is a guy that follows recruiting for teams that aren't his. Yeah. Which, They're again, not even by watching the way, their games anymore. Which, by the way, I still think should be the equivalent of performance-enhancing drugs that should lead to his expulsion from the league so that maybe somebody else has a chance. But anyway. <laughs> I still have a chance. I'm only 25 point out, points out. Oh, that's uh, cute that you think that. He's good, well, he's for a second there, it. I thought they did, in fact, fire Herm Edwards, which they haven't done yet, but I thought they would have fired him for, for getting poor performance out of Rashad White last night against Oregon State. Yeah, man, I saw that he's – like it seems that Arizona State's fans have pretty well turned against him, too. And I looked, I'm like, they're seven and four. And I'm like, God, I came I into that to... game. I, I, I went into that game last night, uh, 30, what, 35 points out of the lead with a stud running back against one of the worst defenses of the Pac 12. He got 11 points. I don't think you're in a position to complain after the way your Lou Nichols picks have worked out the last well and Malik and then you got and then you got 69 yeah Malik Cunningham blew my mind 69 times quiet you (laughs) anyway um so to put a to put a ball on this coaching search thing at some point I wonder if athletic directors who are on the fence about their coach kind of shy away from firing them in this cycle because I mean forget your top option you might not get your seventh best choice if you're further down the pecking order. That's why, you know, we mentioned Texas Tech went out and aggressively found the guy that they want, a guy who's connected with Texas high school football and assistant at Baylor. And they locked him up immediately. Like, they're like, we can't let this, because there's a chance we're not going to yeah. get this guy. Um, well, so the yeah, Arizona I mean, State thing, by the way, just to mention that, there's apparently also some kind of NCAA investigation going on there, which is also okay. kind of a thing. And, and like recruiting is cratered kind of as a result of both of those things. So it's kind of a more of a holistic thing than, oh, shit, he's seven and four this year. Ah! All right, fair enough. Again, like, it's a Pac-12 team. But nobody talks about them. I, I, I have no idea. Like, um, of course, another – so Clay Helton has his new job at Georgia Southern, yes. And yep. then the other school that already locked up its next coach uh, would be UConn, which, went, which got Jim Mora Jr. to come to stores. Um, There's just no I, way that – like, like – we have a small audience, and I don't think a single one of them outside of us would get it if I tried to do the Jim Hermaeus Mora bit that we talked about. No, that's getting that's getting very <laughs> that's that's a lot. Even from please, somebody tell me if I'm wrong. 
even for the people who listen to us that's a lot uh, <laughs> so yeah I'm, i mean the flip side of this is that if you are an even vaguely desirable coach like i don't know if maybe the shine has come off of matt campbell a little bit but presumably he still gets an offer from one of these schools or if you're a billy napier for example at louisiana you are going to get paid and the other thing is if you're a coach like mel tucker or james franklin and you can even plausibly say, yeah, you know, I'm probably going to get offers from these other schools. You are also going to get paid. Tucker is proof of that. I think Penn State has the, I think Pennsylvania has a state law where they don't have to disclose that salary. You assume James Franklin is probably making six and a half, seven million already. Well, shit. I, I mean, you know, Brett Vilma has Illinois fans feeling a little bit of hope. Well, that's to stop him from going right into the 80s in the office and be like, well, looking forward to hopping on the wife, uh, hopping on the plane. To go to uh, Baton Rouge. <laughs> uh, um, my dog is just licking the couch armrest right now. I think he's kind of trying to lick his paw, but he, it's like 70% couch. I assume that's your white dog. Yeah, and he's supposed to be the smart one. Um, my white dog, who is also the smart one, but is also very dumb about being smart, uh, is, has, has subsided. She's given up on trying to woof her way out of the room. He clearly, he's apparently been at it for a while. It's, uh, that armrest is soaked. R2, you are such a peculiar, yeah, you. Okay, so let's try to keep this train moving a little bit so we don't end up with a two-hour runtime. So first question about last week's games, did Cincinnati win by enough to make Gary Barda and friends see the value in letting a huge portion of the sports supporters and followers think that their team could theoretically win a title despite not being in a power conference. <laughs> no, you idiots. They're going to find a way to leave Cincinnati out no matter what happens. Uh, look, what I was watched at some point last night, I, I found that there was just, I was flipping through the channels looking for a game. And I found that there was a Muggsy Bogues documentary on NBA TV. And I was like, <laughs> shit, I got to watch that. But then I recorded it. And I watched it this morning. And that just made me think like if Gary Barter were the NBA commissioner, he would have made Muggsy Bogues ineligible just to rob hope from short people. <laughs> right. We don't want, yeah. We don't want short people to get the idea that they too could play basketball. Uh, yeah. No, like, it, you know, it, it was just kind of a standard fair documentary, nothing like particularly like insightful or anything, but it consisted of like about an hour of Muggsy Bogues highlights, which are about the best highlights in the goddamn world to watch. Never yeah, well, get sick I mean, of watching Muggsy Bogues highlights. That guy is so cool. Fun webs are mostly in low def or black and white. So, yeah, you may as well. <laughs> um, no, Fun web country, had a good five inches on Muggsy. <laughs> elsewhere in the country, um, Bryce Young had a big enough performance that I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that CJ Stroud won the Heisman by just bombing Michigan State. So, that was interesting. It, you know, they still were in a close game with Arkansas, though, a team that's continued to fight despite, I mean, again, just a brutal schedule. Uh, hey, yeah, Arkansas, man, Arkansas, they had a uh, they had a brilliant trick play to keep them in this one as they maintain, you know, just striking distance, one score the whole time. And then, you know, Alabama just, you know, casually flicks one downfield to Jamison Williams. And that's that's it. Right. The cast off from Ohio State, who wasn't good enough to play, who was Alabama's stud receiver. Um <laughs> Uh, look at plucky little Clemson, by the way, getting a big upset win over ACC powerhouse Wake Forest. Hey, Pitt locked up the the conferential division. Yeah, hey, I'll tell you what. You know who's not going to win the Heisman, but really deserves a lot more respect is Kenny Pickett. Yeah, nobody even mentions him as a candidate. <laughs> I actually did see him mentioned as a candidate on on one of these broadcasts. They also mentioned Kenneth Walker, which is fair. Um, you know who well, nobody's talking about, though, be, for really any awards is, uh, besides Conference Play of the Year, is Bailey Zappi of Western Kentucky. He, let's see, I would, I mean, I don't know. I, I think the finalist lists are mostly out, so maybe it's just he's not going to get, I would think they'd at least give him a finalist nomination for the O'Brien, right? You'd hope. I mean, the dude's probably thrown more passes than anybody in the country, but like, again, because I play fantasy all the time, Got some unique insights into, you know, maybe some of the more deserving Heisman dudes. For the fantasy players out there, the year Lamar Jackson won the Heisman, dude averaged like 44 fantasy points a game. That's fucking yeah. ridiculous. Well, uh, Bailey think- Zappi averages about 38 and a half. 
all yeah, and throwing. And it's partially, yeah, because he doesn't run at all. Um, Nor do I, they as a team. I, I think Stearns is a finalist for the Bolitnikov, so that's, that's the first good. time I finalist. Yeah, that's, that's their a, leading receiver. Um, uh, but but there really is no clear winner this year as far as, like, if you're looking – because it's got to be a Power 5 guy, right? It, it has to be. It's you know? Stroud or Young. I, I don't think there's any question that one of those guys is going to end up winning. But I'm, but I'm talking about from, from the perspective of, like, you know, who I think would really deserve to win it as, as a guy who looks at the stats all the time. Oh, no, there uh, are plenty of deserving players. Yeah, I'm just telling like it's yeah. going to come down to not like, quarterback like there Ohio was, State or quarterback Alabama. That's yeah, like, like like the, the, the Cam Newton year was inarguable. Lamar Jackson was, year was inarguable. The, 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 uh, the Mark Ingram year, it was clearly Toby Gerhardt. There's no debate about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, in those days, Stanford might as well have been Western Kentucky. Um, <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, so then in the meantime – uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson got an unsportsmanlike for signing autographs after a touchdown. Yeah, I don't screw the refs. That's awesome. I, that's, like, I want that. 50, like, look, whatever. Give him the penalty, but at least say 15 yards for being a goddamn PIMP. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then another result of some interest Oklahoma State beat Texas Tech in shutout fashion which means I believe regardless of what happens next week, we are assured of back-to-back bedlams. Is that true? I don't know because I don't see how Baylor could possibly be out of it. I actually do have the standings up for all the leagues because I figured that we were going to at some point talk about this. Oh, shit. Yeah, Baylor is 6-2. and two. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't OK State beat them head-to-head? I think so. I mean, someone must have been. Oh, yep, they lost to they lost to Oak State and TCU. Yeah, that was. Don't you remember that was the Jerry Kill game? Yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah, how could I forget? Where, is he, where he inserted his tendrils into the ventilation. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, that as far as I understand the way that their conference works means that yeah, Oklahoma State and Oklahoma play in back to back weeks. No, R2 is not happy about that. He thinks that's some bullshit right there. Uh, presumably there's a UPS truck two blocks over or something that he's decided he needs to bark at. That you know, I'll tell you what, Moon really doesn't care about mail. She's fine with Amazon and FedEx and, and the U.S. mail. She particularly seems to like, but boy, she hates UPS. <laughs> she just wants to woof at the hell out of some UPS. Yeah, well, I, presumably she's a union buster then. So, sorry, man, your dog's in Pinkerton. Um, <laughs> all right. We, we've been at this for quite a while. We haven't even started talking about this week's games. So, we'll get into it. And fortunately, we have a little bit of a breakup in that for the first time in several weeks, we have a Friday game. That would be the Black Friday American Hero Troop Cops Farmers game brought to you by State Farm All Bureau. Nebraska and Iowa is what we're talking about, if we aren't clear. I have low-key come to enjoy watching this game because it's a very faithful representation of Thanksgiving in that the rest of us in, in the Slack and in the college football world can are just sort of sitting back and observing as there's a pitched, hate-laced argument between the Nebraska people and the Iowa people about who's actually living rent-free in the other's head and so forth. Uh, or, or whatever it is they argue about. Just, they're always arguing about something. The, um, the, the, the massive rampant overuse of rent-free reminds me of just this this two-panel comic I saw where it's like, it depicts a dude pissing his pants and a whole crowd of people just laughing at him. And the next panel just has him thinking in his head, rent-free. <laughs> yeah, I just don't understand how that became a go-to deflection for so many people where it's like, Oh, like other people are talking about a bad or dumb thing I did or, or criticizing me. Like I just, it, I don't know, because it's just, it's you know what it is is it's it's the maturation of narcissism where it's like <laughs> people are thinking about me. <laughs> I still Even if it's laughing at my face. So anyway, how do you think this game gets to twenty-seven to twenty-four? Um, do you think Iowa kicks eight. nine field goals? Yeah, nine nine field goals to let's see three uh, touchdowns and two point conversions. No, I'm going to say yeah, nine field goals for Iowa. Nebraska scores three touchdowns but misses all three extra points. 
uh, but then kicks two field goals. Or do they score three safeties? I don't think that's quite a lot, even for a game involving Iowa. Um, no, I think I'm going to stick with my projection there. How about two touchdowns, a third touchdown with an extra point, and then a safety? Two touchdowns, extra point. It just feels like a safety's got to come into this equation somehow. I don't know that it does, because really, like, Nebraska's offense is not that bad, honestly. Yeah, but Iowa's is. <laughs> it, But really, it's gotten somewhat better since Padilla took over. Like, it's it's not... It's not what it was in October for a few weeks there where they're not going to crack 200 total yards. Like they're better than that. Um, That's fair enough. Anyway, we're we're talking about a Nebraska game here. We know what's going to happen. Yeah. Lots of ways to get to a three point Iowa win, which is, it feels like the one true outcome in this game. So yeah, of course, the funny thing is, if Iowa does win this game, they then have to root for Minnesota to give them the division by beating Wisconsin. Oh, boy. A fate truly worse than death. <laughs> uh, but it, you know what? I guess when you've won Floyd of Rosedale seven straight years, you can go ahead and say, yeah, why don't you, <laughs> you slacking shits do something useful um, without you know losing too much sleep over it. So then... Um... You know, what's weird is that I keep hearing that, like, I keep hearing all these advertisements where it's like, oh, there's games, and then there's the game, the most storied rivalry in college football kicks off on Saturday. And I'm like, we already played Illinois. Are we doing it again? <laughs> but we're talking about the other most storied rivalry in college football, and that is the Land Grant Trophy. Yeah, and so we're going a little bit out of chronological order here because the kick times had not been posted when I put this together. Um, but yeah, it really, I think this game comes down to whether Sean Clifford plays or not. If he plays, I think Penn State ultimately wins. If he doesn't, I think Penn State's offense struggles enough even against a very vulnerable MSU pass defense that I think the Spartans win. Because that's, that's the problem, right, is that Penn State can't run the ball, but neither could Purdue. Right. And so, and, and it's Ohio like State chose season. not to in order to rub your nose in it a little more. Yeah. Well, and like I said, I, I think really it was about Heisman yeah. Pub. I think so. I, like if, 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 if they played Henderson earlier, they would have run the ball more on you guys because it's like, okay, that's the guy people are talking about. Let's get him more stats. They're, they're a bored god playing video games at this point where it's like, <laughs> okay, no, no, look. Why the hell do they still not have my guy in number one in the Heisman thing? I'm just going to lower the difficulty here, and I'm just going to toss, like, touchdown after touchdown until they <laughs> vote my guy number one. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <sighs> um, so, it, yeah, other than that, I'm considering going to this game. It's a 3-3 kick. Uh, the tickets got a lot cheaper after the Ohio State game last week. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um, it's, and this last week of the game, it's usually pretty easy to get good seats because – People always realize, oh, I want to fucking go on Thanksgiving weekend. So um, all of our wishes that they would make this the permanent fixture at the end of the season because that bowling trophy ass land grant is truly the most worthy thing. They're going to bring the the, the trophy. They actually do like pass the trophy though, right? Or does that retire? No, I believe they pass it. Um, It takes like a moving crew and a couple of hand trolleys to get it out there. But yeah, they, they still transfer it. I do, I do not think Franklin cares for it much. Well, if I, I remember mean, correctly. Perlis made that shit in his hobby room, right? Yeah. After he retired, he took up woodworking, and this is what we got out of it. Um, and of course, it's, it's still one of the more interesting careers. I, I mean, had a mostly successful tenure, but ended up leaving real trouble with the NCAA for his successor. Not that, I mean... Nothing that was honestly all that bad. But again, we're talking about like pre-2000 Big Ten. So if you're not Michigan or Ohio State, you don't get to cheat. Um, And then fractured the relationship between the athletic department and the board of trustees so badly that they ended up letting Nick Saban go. Because they didn't want, I mean, they just, they disliked the way that Perlis handled asking for raises. 
and then later became a trustee himself and designed a trophy the football team plays for. <laughs> Just quite a journey. And those, like, I'm only hitting the high points. There's a lot of other stuff in there. Um, man, weird. But yeah, it's fitting that this is one of the weird, like, amongst all the other trophies, like, obviously, we're never going to displace Michigan, Ohio State at the end of the season. I would happily sell for Penn State. They don't have anybody else to play either. Keep saying unrivaled if you want. I don't give a shit. You don't have to call us a rival. Let's just play for this funny. Not our rival. Right. That's the thing that you chant in unison, thousands of people at once to convince the other team that, no, actually, we don't care that we're red free. (laughs) Very convincing. (laughs) So that's pew, pew, pew. Now let's move on to chop, chop, chop. chop, chop. chop. And no, I'm not talking about a Michigan State Rutgers rematch. uh, Rather, the Paul Bunyan's axe. Um, leading receiver for the season in this matchup between Wisconsin and Minnesota is Danny Davis with a line of 27 receptions, 418 yards, two touchdowns. So that's like a, a mediocre couple of games for Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave or David Bell. <laughs> like, or that's, you know, had say Wilson been the guy receiving the most Heisman press, that's what he would have scored against Michigan state. Right. This I. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but it, I mean, you you ask, all right, well, these are two teams that are pretty similar on paper in that they are very run-heavy offenses, pretty good defenses. How's this end up going? Well, Wisconsin wins because Wisconsin almost always wins this game, and they're a way better team. Their passing game has actually shaped up a little bit now that they're realizing that their tight end is actually their only functional weapon. Um, they've found their feature back in Braylon Allen. The offensive line has played a lot better recently. And I'll tell you what, if Graham Mertz throws a touchdown, he should really just – they should find some way to take him out of the game, like a, like, like a pitcher or something, because he will finally, finally, finally have more touchdowns than picks. <laughs> He's even at nine now. But yeah. anyway, Wisconsin's defense, you were saying, it's just rolling. Yeah, they're by far – and so we mentioned in the recap, for example, that in the Penn State-Rutgers game – Penn State's quarterback was able to settle in because there was no game pressure on him. I don't expect there to be much game pressure on Wisconsin because their defense is far and away the best unit in this game. I think this is a game where Minnesota is really going to struggle to run the ball. And on those occasions when their run game has been controlled, this offense does that. It's pretty unusual because they're so effective running the ball that they can usually get something out of it. But uh, yeah, I, I picture Minnesota having a really hard time establishing their ball control, high TOP kind of offense that they've really come to rely on. So here are the points allowed by Wisconsin's defense and conference play since the end of that real big meltdown they had in their first three, you know, their first four games, right? Uh, zero against Illinois, 13 against Purdue, one of the more prolific offenses in the league, seven against Iowa, three against Rutgers, seven against Northwestern, and 28 against Nebraska, but that's only because Wisconsin scored 35. Had Wisconsin scored seven, Nebraska would have scored zero. Had they scored 14, Nebraska would have scored seven. <laughs> right. So that's that's the point that we're getting at here when I don't see any other reasonable outcome to expect, but that Wisconsin ends up um, winning. Yeah, I, I could see a reasonably close game. The line here is Wisconsin minus six and a half, even though the game is in Minnesota. I think they'd probably cover that, but narrowly. Um, oh, and this game's going to be about turnovers, though. Yeah, I did not mention this, but MSU is giving a point and a half at home. Ooh. To Penn State. Um, but this X game is going to be about turnovers and special teams. Minnesota's special teams have been a liability this year. Yeah, and as far as actual action goes back and forth, um, the over-under on the Paul Bunyan's X is 39. So <laughs> do that what you will. But uh, yeah, it's uh, whatever, whatever bank owns a uh, TCF now stadium. Um, so Wisconsin getting six and a half there is, uh, you know, kind of says that this is maybe a 10 point game on a neutral field. But uh, I think whatever the score is, it's it's definitely going to be low. And I think Wisconsin's going to win by a couple of scores. Yep, probably fair enough. Um, OK, so let's get you. You've been long. Have you augured? ill of this game we're about to talk about which is hat 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 
I don't watch this game anymore, and I probably never will again. I'm going to be in Traverse City uh, doing many fun things at places that hopefully won't have TVs. Well, if there's a TV, it'll be on. There's not going to be this game on it. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Real. Okay, Um, well then let's hope for let's hope for shitty Wi-Fi here. (laughs) So, talk me out of playing Evan Hull and JMC. Like, convince me. No, the only thing is that if Andrew Marty doesn't delegate, right? That's the whole deal. Is if if he keeps it instead, because you know, I I I don't know what the status of Calvin Avery or Rod Perry are going to be on the D D line, but if we start Virtus Brown, who's 350 pounds. I just see, you know, Marty just casually like throwing him like 10 yards to the side, like uh, Reggie White in that Super Bowl. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I'm I think that the only way that Illinois makes this respectable is by hitting on both of their scripted drives and then uh, and then holding on for dear life. Yeah, because that's kind of bad. the only that's kind of the, the only. Well, no, Northwestern's offense is shitty, but they're balanced. They're balanced as far as their their ability to pass or run the ball they're shitty at both but there's not one that they do that's much worse than the other that's that's particularly terrible um minnesota terrible at passing the ball this year penn state terrible at running it rutgers shitty but balanced iowa shitty but balanced and those two teams beat uh illinois northwestern's actually better than both of those teams on offense but um that's kind of my concern there is i just I know that we're going to get the best game that these guys are capable of in, you know, probably in their entire lives. Um, And I I frankly don't think there's any way that we lose this game by any less than four touchdowns. (laughs) Uh, I want to make fun of you now because like, that's objectively preposterous, but I also know how this series has gone recently. You know, I had an entire song recorded before the 2019 game. I'll never get, Oh, I, I deleted the masters. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I mean, of course, the other thing is the last time I spoke out against your pessimistic prediction was before the UTSA game. So I'm just not going to do it again. Well, um, I mean, but that being said, you made similarly, the, the, you made similarly sourpuss predictions before Penn State as well. So it, it's it's not a foregone conclusion. Well, as far as I'm concerned, it is. I mean. The fact of the matter is the last time we had a situation where like we were feeling like not terrible about ourselves, like we still maybe wanted to someday watch another Illinois game and Northwestern was struggling. It led to what I think is just behind the 2009 Missouri loss in worst Illinois losses ever for me, like not ever, but that I've seen. So I'm just going to not get burned on that stove again. Not watching this. Fuck this. We're probably going to lose badly, just terribly. Now, okay, so for, here's for two more reasons. Record, for purposes of the historical record, I might have this game on if I don't end up going to MSUs because you, you're also in the afternoon slot. So if here's, I end up at home, I could surf between them. Is there a point at which you want me to alert you if there's a positive game script? I don't know. It's my wife's birthday, too. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to ruin that. You don't want to watch your team beat Illinois on your wife's or beat Northwestern on your wife's birthday? No, I don't want to watch Illinois beat Illinois. Um, no, what here, if, if you need any more convincing, consider the following two points. If Northwestern wins this, it will tie the all-time series between the two. In other words, Illinois can avoid tying an all-time series with one of the historically worst teams in college football. Mm-hmm. No fucking way do they avoid that. And also, if Illinois wins this game and goes five and seven and maybe has a chance to bowl in Detroit or something by APR or whatever, Illinois fans will go into the offseason with a hope that has rarely been felt in Champaign. No way do we not piss all of that away by just absolutely pissing down our leg and getting blown the fuck out at home. No way we don't do that. Just no. Here's the only thing I'd say to counter that, which is, all that stuff gets wiped off the table the same way if you lose on a field goal as time expires. You don't have to get blown out for those things to be off the table. <laughs> well, I mean, the bold thing, yeah. But aren't, you like, glad, aren't you glad that we became friends and we've been doing this podcast? It's, it's, it's for moments like that, right, that you that you like to make and maintain friendships. Uh, yeah. no, I mean, even if we lose narrowly in this one, they'll still be like, okay, this might happen, right? But, you know, it's like in 2019 where it's like, 
even though we kind of knew that it was a bit of a luck that got that four game win streak. Then we competed at Iowa and thinking, okay, 2020 might be a year in which we don't suck. And then we got our absolute shit pushed in by Northwestern. And it was like, oh, okay, no, we're just going to suck forever. And Lovey has no business coaching here anymore. That was entirely luck that got us through the bowl game. And that's, that, that's what, that's what ended up being the correct take. So I feel like Northwestern will put us in a similar position this time because why would they not? I guess, man. I mean, I still know how you can make long-term conclusions about Bielema in year one. Um, I mean, I certainly can't. It's just that the Mel Tucker thing has really proven to me shitty program gravity and shitty program inertia because I guarantee you that if like, I don't know, like, like, um, if like fucking Oregon State or whatever had hired him in the same time frame, they would not be anywhere near as good. No, probably not. Bielema could very well end up being good and we could still suck. Like for years. If he's well, if he's actually good, you're not gonna suck for that long. Um, but anyway, we gotta keep this moving here. Um we so we moved on again. We've got pew pew pew, chop, 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 hat, hat, hat. Now, um, clink, clink, clink is the best thing that I came up with for the bucket. This might be the most lopsided result in this bucket, series. Bucket, bucket, bucket. In a long time. Yeah, buck, buck, buck. Indiana is a complete disaster on offense right now. Their coaching staff is not pushing any of the right buttons on that side of the ball. And they, they plainly have no idea how to get good quarterback production out of Donovan McCulley. Uh, meanwhile, Purdue's offense is humming in the hands of a veteran quarterback with a deep array of weapons who I think are finally all more or less healthy. I don't remember seeing Payne Durham in the game last week, so I don't know if he's back or not, but they have Bell, they have Milton Wright. The running game has gotten better since Doru and Horvath have both gotten healthy. Uh, there's There's no reason to think that Purdue won't win this game and win comfortably. And the line here reflects that. I, I wonder how long it's been since there was a double-digit spread in this game, but Purdue is favored by 15 at home, according to the Vegas line. Honestly, I I might take them to cover that because yeah, I might. Indiana I like just they're... seems so completely dead in the water that I feel like, it, you know, and granted, if they were going to show up for a game, it would be this one, but it's just there have been so few signs of life in the last three weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I, I think really as far as a margin goes, if he has the choice, does Jeff Brom choose to push for a blowout? I don't know. Uh, they ended up with a, an impressive margin against Ohio State when they had that chance a few years ago, but I don't know. Like, I don't really have a read on him that way. It's, well, if Indiana can stop the run, then he might have no choice but to keep throwing. Yeah. Well, not true. stop the run, contain the run, because Purdue's not a great running team, and Indiana's been known to occasionally slow down better running attacks. So the game script might just dictate that they keep throwing. Yeah, that's true. Uh, carrying on here, I uh, there's there is no um, there's no onomatopoeia for the sound, sound of indifference. Of silence. Well, indifference though. And that's what I've got in the Maryland Rutgers game where um, other than Michigan and Ohio State, quite possibly the highest stakes when you consider the both teams' perspective here. Because, you know, think about what we've talked about so far. So in the land-grant trophy, Michigan State with a win is in really good position for a New Year's Six game. That's, you know, something to play for. Penn State, there's nothing either way. Like, it doesn't matter. Um, Paul Bunyan's axe. Wisconsin, if they win, they win the West, go to Indianapolis. That's a big thing. You want to send James Franklin out with a win as he ditches you before the bowl game, right? <laughs> you spit like, are you hearing things that I'm not about that actually happening? <laughs> no, I'm not. I just, just you know, just that's, that's the kind of thing that's never a threat for my school. So I'm gonna, you know, wave it in the face of everybody else. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's <laughs> if that's how you gotta get your jollies, like <laughs> do whatever you gotta do. Um I don't think it materially harms their long-term prospects either way. Nah. Um, in the wall hat game, I guess th- there's not really much for t- either team to play for except hating the other. Illinois could still get a bowl game if they get this. I mean, apparently they are very high up on the list of uh, of APR, and apparently there are enough bowl ties 
and not good for you for playing. It could actually happen. How about that? It could actually happen, but since there's no fucking way we beat Northwestern, they're basically our Ohio State at this point. We haven't. Uh, We'd have to go to Tim Beckman to beat them. You know, you know, the most likely result is you beat them by twenty, and you don't see a second of it. But anyway, uh, don't care. You talk about the bucket game. Purdue's going to a decent but not great bowl either way, and Indiana can't make a bowl game, so that's also just a rivalry game without a whole lot in the way of stakes. When we get to Mar- I mean, and, and then Ohio State, Michigan is obvious because the winner wins the East and is in prime position to go to the playoff. They'd be a huge favorite in the conference title game. Do we talk about the X? What? You're talking about the X? Yeah, I mean, that's a big. Where one. have you been? We ran through all the shit. Um, I tried to get into it, and you brought up fucking Illinois again. So, but yeah, the, if Wisconsin wins, they win the West. Is basically what I said. And all Minnesota can do is prevent them from doing that. Um, so, in terms of stakes, they're kind of imbalanced there as well. No, that's a pretty. That's yeah, a pretty big motivator for Minnesota. Big though. stakes in the game, and then you've got in. Maryland and Rutgers, two teams that are at different points along the building arc where like if you're Greg Schiano and you get to a bowl in year two and yet granted the offense has been unwatchable most of the season, but still you find a way to six wins. You get the extra practices. Maybe you think about starting Gavin Wimsat because you've been getting him involved and you'd have a whole extra month to work him in. That's a big thing. Now, if you're Mike Loxley, it's a little bit more of a eh, need to make a bowl game here or fucking hot seat next year. <laughs> Just like you haven't done anything since you've been hired. So a little bit of a different perspective for each team there. And I guess we'll see who the be- I mean, this feels like a situation where Maryland has a substantial talent edge on both sides of the ball, but Rutgers has a big coaching advantage. I wonder how that's going to work out. I don't really know. A loss here would be a very big indictment of like Mike Loxley. I'm not, you know, there's no way to sugarcoat it. Sure. They, they, they should win this game. And I kind of am not certain that they will. Oh, I'm not certain that they will either. Not by any means. Um, let me see here. So, and sure enough, the game is in Piscataway and the line is Maryland giving a point and a half. I wouldn't, I, I have no idea how I'm going to pick this game when, the time comes, was it tomorrow for us to make our selections? I have no earthly idea. I'm probably going to pick the Gers, but not with a whole lot of confidence. Yeah, I suppose so. All right, so we beat around the bush long enough. It's time now to talk about the game. The game. All right, so uh, if you think I was doomerific about my own team, well, the other despair pill that I have is Ohio State just wins everything forever until there's a major, major scandal. And um, I don't see how that's going to stop here. Probably not. Probably not. But walk me through just... the path to victory for Michigan. Here, this is the most entertaining thing we can do. Sure. Walk yeah, me through I'll... the path to victory for Michigan. I will walk you through the path to victory. The path to victory for Michigan is they actually have the offensive line to run the ball against Ohio State. And they have enough weapons in the pass game to finish their scores with touchdowns and get the occasional long play on what is low-key kind of a vulnerable Buckeye secondary. It hasn't mattered often, but again, think back to the Purdue game. And granted, I get that the Buckeyes kind of took the foot off the gas a little bit there, but earlier in the season as well, this is a very young Buckeye secondary and they're talented across the board, no question, but with um, a an experienced quarterback with an offensive system that's been clicking. And especially with the way Michigan operates on offense, where they prefer kind of the longer, slower drives, they can cut down the number of possessions in this game. Because remember, we we always used to talk about trestle ball as being a really weird strategy for Ohio State to run, you know, because we know from statistical analysis that the more talent you have, you should want more possessions because it gives your awesome talent more chances to do awesome stuff. Michigan, it almost feels like they've structured their offense this year around actually looking forward to this game. We've, and we're not alone in this, but we've commented multiple times on, oh, man, how are you ever going to beat Ohio State if you're not running a more balanced, wide-open offense? Well, because you're approaching that game as saying, there is no way that we're keeping up with three first-round draft picks at wide receiver if we try to match them point for point. We need to shorten this game and put it in a spot that a turnover or a big special teams play 
at the right time gives us a lead. And now Ohio State's playing from behind, which they haven't had to do since Oregon. And they didn't handle that situation well. They couldn't come back from that game. And I know they're better now than they were then. But you wanted a path for how Ohio State loses game. That's how it goes. It, it's <laughs> both simple and it'll feel simple and obvious, but it's also, I think, the best answer, which is Michigan runs the ball. They run the ball, they hold on to the possession, and they keep Ohio State's offense off the field. I think they're good enough to do it. And really, it's not that he's the only one to ever do this, but it's one of the most prominent games I've seen of this happening. You got to burn him. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's, I mean, shorten the game and make it so that one big play on defense and special teams, especially special teams, could do it, could really be the difference. Michigan's got, first of all, Michigan has the better kicker. I think they'd probably have the better punter, but to be honest with you, I haven't seen much of Ohio State's punter. I don't think anybody has. Yeah. (laughs) So who knows how that goes? But then in terms of the return game, Michigan's got guys, AJ Henning, uh, who can make an impact there as well. So, yeah, that's that's really how they do it, though, is this game plan that a lot of us all year have been like, man, what are they doing? This is limiting their ceiling. It may very well have been designed for one specific opponent. It may have been a season-long campaign to get them ready for Ohio State. And they've got enough talent and have had enough of the breaks go their way in other games that they come in with only one loss. And, yeah, I think that's how they would do it. I'm not saying it's especially likely, but, look, the line here is only Ohio State minus eight, even though the game is in Ann Arbor, so... That's the closest line they've had in quite a while. The most likely result, yeah, is Ohio State wins by three scores or more. But I don't think it's as unrealistic as a lot of people seem to think that Michigan keeps this game close. Well, the question is, if they do keep it close and uh, say it plays out a lot like 2016, and then we're talking about just losing by inches in an extremely contested game, how the hell does Jim Harbaugh ever come back from this? Jim Harbaugh goes back into a shell for four uh, more years, or is he just rendered catatonic? How did? How does? How, I, I mean, because I mean, the fact that he went through that the season after going through trouble with the snap is just like, well, yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing: there has, even with the two win season last year, there hasn't been anything that bad for them since then. And the other thing is. Even if they lose that game, depending on what happens in the conference title game, I believe they still got a really good shot at the Rose Bowl. Um, Being who they are, they're going to have the advantage with bowl selection over even Michigan State, which is absolute bullshit, but also definitely going to happen. So I've made my peace with that. I'm over it. Um, Yes, that probably means a 10 win Michigan State gets to go to the friggin' Citrus Bowl. But anyway... um, yeah, I think Michigan is is not able to get it done, but it wouldn't surprise you know. You know what I think the most likely result here is is they keep it close enough to feel like they're making real progress against Ohio State. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Um, well, and the other thing I should mention, by the way, is that when CJ Stroud has struggled this season, which hasn't been often, it's been when the opponent has gotten pressure on him. Like this, this offensive line has quietly been incredible in pass pro but they haven't seen a couple of bookends like Michigan has at the defensive end spots. I, I would be remiss not to mention that Hutchinson and Ojabo are by far the best couple of defensive ends they have. And you'll think back the closest comparisons that Penn state game, that's the defense closest to what Michigan has on the front line. And for a little while, Ohio state really struggled. Now, eventually but the difference had... being that Michigan can run the ball. Yeah. Yeah. They can run the ball. And so what that means, again, think back to the Penn State game. They kept it close for a while, but eventually, given enough opportunities, Ohio State's guys break the big plays. If they have fewer opportunities, that might not happen. And with Michigan having the ball, what you expect to be longer possessions, yeah, there's very much a game plan to victory. There, see, that wasn't so hard. Yeah, it's certainly, it's it's there. But again, um, it, it does kind of require a lot, a, a few it requires limiting possessions and it requires a few big plays to break your way. Yeah. But again, that's, that's always how you win as an up as an underdog in the big picture. That's so, always how you win against Ohio state because you are always an underdog against Ohio state, no matter who yeah, you because are. When we say you, we're not talking 20 fans of Georgia or Alabama. Cause I can't imagine any of them would listen to us. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Georgia and Alabama and elsewhere, let's take a quick 
turn around the rest of the country. Thanksgiving, you have Egg Bowl mandatory viewing after the piss and miss every year. You obviously will never person. ever top that, but what you if, might see some yeah, you might see a worthy successor in that matchup. It is still Lane Kiffin versus Mike Leach. Yeah, for now, we'll see. You know, Lane Kiffin's name has come up in a lot of these other big jobs. Yeah, that's the thing. What if they what if like on Wednesday Lane Kiffin takes the Florida job? Or if he takes it the day after this game, after winning, <laughs> he wins. <laughs> it's Ole Miss to like to the Peach Bowl or something, and then leaves. Yeah, that'd be pretty typical for how Ole Miss's fortunes have gone. The Zombie um, Apple Cup, yeah, which Apple is Cup tremendous because you'll have Jimmy Lake and Nick Rolovich, the coaches of Washington and Washington State, coached two years at those respective schools and never coached against each other because COVID <laughs> canceled this last year, and they both got fired before they could get to the end of the season this year. Yeah, just preposterous. We mentioned earlier, uh, if Texas loses to Kansas State and Kansas beats West Virginia, that means the Longhorns finish their final season in the Big 12, dead last in the conference, and then they move to the SEC. A broken-ass locker room missing their best offensive player in B. John Robinson. Hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely playing Deuce Vaughn, by the way, this week. That's why I can't go with... uh, how, uh, that's why I can't play Evan Hall because I'm playing Deuce Vaughn for sure. Um, we also have the Sicko Super Bowl, and it's uh, one in ten UMass at which has fired their coach at one in ten New Mexico State. I think those are both independents at the moment. Although, yes, I believe New Mexico State uh, managed to grab onto a log. Um, in the, I believe right now they are independents. Yeah, in the group of five realignment. But anyway, so that's two one in ten teams where one team has already fired their coach. Um, and then, as always, this last week of the season, you have a ton of in-state rivalry matchups. So outside of your team's game, I w- we would encourage channel surfing. Honestly, flip around, find something that that interests you. There, it's always a little bit tough to measure how the emotions balance out and what each team is playing for. It's difficult to tell which games are actually going to end up being best. So keep an open mind. Um, you got yeah, Fresno you know, State at San Jose State to determine who is the second best team in the state of California, right? True. Behind the second course, to San Diego, San State, Diego State, State, yeah. Um, still an outside, outside shot for New Year's Six Bowl for San Diego State if Cincinnati loses this week and next. With big time action in state rivalries, you've got Eastern at Central Michigan, you've got Ohio at Bowling Green. Uh, what's the other one? Oh, Miami, Ohio at Kent State. Only big time stuff right here. Yeah. And of course, uh, you know, if no, if no other reason, tune into Toledo at Bowling Green because Toledo has a missile pointed at Bowling Green State campus. <laughs> Yeah, a, a, a literal missile. I mean, it's not live, but it, it, at, there's, at the glass bowl. And again, that's we may have to consider that as our next stop on the MAC tour. Uh, there is in the stadium, in the glass bowl, a rocket aimed towards Bowling Green Stadium <laughs> as though waiting for that declaration of war. We're going to have to wait until Ohio legalizes it, though, because I'm not going to the glass bowl and not smoking up. <laughs> not going well, to the glass bowl. Given the state not of bringing my own glass bowl. right now, I would not. I would not take a puff and hold your breath. <laughs> South Florida at UCF uh, only really has uh, sickos potential. Although I- I'm just so happy that the official name of the stadium is currently the Bounce House, <laughs> or as uh, my my semi Yinzer wife would say, the Bounce House. Bounce House downtown. About downtown, downtown Orlando. Um, and North Carolina, NC State, another one of those in-state rivalry games. Georgia I mean, at Georgia you Tech. You can't list every game between pretty hopeless in the same state. We will just list every just game. Just ones that are interesting, though. I mean, that one is Sam Howell's last chance uh, at making another ACC instant instant ASIC. Yeah, man, I suppose so. I, talk about a guy who fell off the face of the earth, right? I, like before the season, I, I don't remember if he got much high. Well. No, he didn't get much Heisman pub because ESPN wouldn't talk about anyone except DJ Weunga Lele, who might not even be the best quarterback in their matchup with South Carolina this week. Yeah, and I mean, the thing about Sam Howell is that if I picked Sam in week two in fantasy, and he made me howl. <laughs> 
I'd say we're here all week, but that is the end of the show, folks. Thanks for listening. All right. Oh, shit. We went over a lot. All right. Yeah, I know. Because there's no limit to your ability to talk about Illinois. Absolutely not. Your source for Big Ten talk. It's off tackle. Empire. What do you think? Decent read? Yes, I love. No, I love the execution. <laughs> right. I think I like it. Did you read that at all before you went into it? No. I like it better that way. I think that's how we should do it from now on. Just, just, dark, just blind read on that. Every I, yes, I like that a lot. <laughs> very, very, very dollop. <laughs> oh yeah, the one that I listened to. Oh my God, I don't think I finished it actually because I think I listened to it while I was doing my run yesterday morning was the eugenics one. <laughs> oh yeah. That's yeah, where I got that when, when they said, if you saw our conversation in the random channel where they were like, I hope Rogers Peters falls off too. And, I, <laughs> and I, because I was thinking of that one, I was like, well, wait a second. If I put on my 1890s doctor thinking cap, <laughs> wouldn't that just make him more productive and you know a healthier, happier, more productive member of society? Yeah, man. He is, after all, a fucking idiot. <laughs>